Welcome to the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a Kidman leader. Thanks for listening to today's episode, featuring a favorite presentation from one of our training experiences. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and Institutes of Children's Ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. Jesus' ministry to children was amazing in many different aspects, but I want to begin by helping us understand that what was most amazing, perhaps, most startling about His ministry to children is that Jesus valued children in a way that people in His culture did not value. Children, generally speaking, in New Testament world, did not see children as having the same worth, the same value as adults would have. And so as we look today at Jesus' life as a child, as his teaching about children, and also his ministry to children, there are just amazing insights that we will, we will find from that. Let's begin by looking at Jesus as a child. Jesus as a child. First, we, we know that Jesus was and of course is the Son of God. And so he had a father-child relationship from eternity with the Heavenly Father. 1 John 4.14 tells us that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus is eternal. He's always been in existence. He's always been alive. But the Father, at the right time, Galatians 4.4 says, when, when the time was right, He sent the Son to the world. And Revelation 13 and 8 makes a startling statement. It says to us that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. He was slain before the world was created. In other words, God knew before the world was made that man would rebel against him, man would sin against him, man would need a Savior. And God knew the only type of Savior that could deliver from sin and rebellion would be his own perfect Son. And so in that sense, the Son of God was slain before the world was even made. Then Luke one thirty five says this, this amazing Savior, this Messiah, this Son of God, came to earth and was born in a fashion that no one has ever been born before or since. He was born of a virgin. He was born through a human mother, but by the work, the overshadowing work of the Holy Spirit, he came into our world. And because he came in such a fashion... He was born sinless into our world. He was not the product of a sinful mother and father. Instead, he was the product of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary in an incredible way. So he is the Son of God, sent to the earth, and he became the Son of Man. Jesus became the Son of Man. Luke 2, 7 Matthew one twenty one teaches us that his birth take, took place like other human births happen. Now, other than the fact no, not too many folks are born inside a stable, of course, but he was born through a natural process. His mother Mary 
was pregnant for nine months, delivered a child, born in the stable, and when he was born, they gave him the name that they were instructed to give him. They gave him the name Jesus, because Jesus means Savior. He's Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, came to save the world from their sins. After he was born, eight days later, his parents, earthly parents, I should say, Mary and Joseph, took him to the temple for the purpose of consecrating him to God. They took him to the temple to consecrate him to God. And because Mary and Joseph were not wealthy people, they brought two doves as their gift to him, or as their gift to the temple, their sacrificial offering. And two incredible things, two incredible encounters took place there in the temple. First of all, there was a man by the name of Simeon. Simeon was an elderly man, and God had promised Simeon that before he passed from this life to the next, he would see the coming of the Messiah. When Mary and Joseph came into the, the temple, this poor couple, this little baby, looked like every other baby, the Holy Spirit quickened him, and he knew this was the one promised. Simeon took the baby, held him in his arms, and prayed a beautiful prayer over him, a prayer glorifying God for sending the Messiah to the world. Now, at the end of that prayer... Simeon warned his parents that a sword would pierce their soul. He was prophesying about the crucifixion to come. Next, a lady in her 80s, a lady by the name of Anna, a lady who lived in one of the side rooms of the temple. She stepped into the scene, and she too prophesied about this little boy being held in his parents' arms. Jesus grows. He reaches the age of two years old. And we have the story of King Herod hearing about this newborn king. And Herod decides there can be no such possible rival to his throne. So he delivers an edict that all two-year-old boys in Bethlehem will be killed. So Mary and Joseph, they have to flee. An angel warns them they flee. And Jesus is saved from slaughter by the intervention of God through an angel. So we see from the very beginning of Jesus' life, Satan was out to destroy him, but yet God had a plan. God would protect him until the time came for him to die a sacrificial life. The next time we see Jesus as a boy... He's now 12 years old. He's with Mary and Joseph as they take a very important journey to Jerusalem. And at the end of this time, when it's time to return home, Mary and Joseph leave with a caravan. They get about a day along the journey. And they realize Jesus, no, is not in front of the caravan. Jesus, no, is not in the back of the caravan with, with some of his cousins or, or siblings. Jesus is nowhere to be found. So Mary and Joseph go on the hunt. Mary and Joseph go back to Jerusalem in search 
everywhere they can think of. And finally, they go to the temple where they find their son teaching teachers. Jesus was a 12-year-old boy teaching teachers in the temple. When they approached him about, Jesus, why have you done this? Why did you not, why were you not with us? Jesus answered, didn't you know I have to be about my father's business? They didn't fully understand what he was talking about, but we do see the next aspect of Jesus' life is he honored his parents. He humbly went back home with them. And the Bible says in Luke 2, as the story continues, that he, that he grew and he continued to obey his parents. And he grew in stature and favor with God and with man. Hebrews 4.15 tells us something really important about him and his ministry. Because here's a question that, that we should think about. Jesus has always been alive. The Son of God has always been existent. But why did God choose to send him to earth as a baby? He could have sent him to earth as a teenager. He could have sent him to birth as an adult. Yet, he chose to send him to earth as an infant. And perhaps Hebrews 4 and 15 gives us a clue about this because this passage says that Jesus was tempted in every way like we are tempted, yet without sin. Jesus, imagine this. Imagine the kids you teach. Imagine the kids in your house or the kids in your classroom, the kids in your church. They never tell a lie. They never have a fight. They never disobey the authority figures. As unrealistic as that is for us to picture in our minds, that was the reality for Jesus Christ as a boy. He never sinned, not one time. Because he grew up through the stages of human life, young child, child, adolescent, adult, he can empathize and understand fully all the human experience. So when I tell children, when I'm teaching them and I tell them Jesus understands them, I can remind them Jesus was a boy just like you or just a child just like you and he understands and he cares. He knows what it is like to be where you are. So Jesus became the Son of God. Jesus became the Son of Man. As he grows into a man, as he begins his ministry, we see that Jesus had some very important things to say about children. Some very important things to say about children. Let's look at some of those things he had to say. We're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And the first section we want to look at is verses 1 through 4. Matthew 18, 1 through 4. In this setting, Jesus' disciples were once again having a discussion among themselves. They wanted to know which one of them was most important. Which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They went to Jesus with this question. And he taught them a powerful object lesson. He had to come and stand before them a little child. And as this child stood before them, 
Jesus said, unless you humble yourself and become like one of these little children, you never can even enter the kingdom of heaven. And I would add, much less be great in the kingdom of heaven. This was an astonishing statement. Become like a child, humble myself to be like a child. What is this talking about? Let's think about this for a moment. What does it mean to humble yourself like a child? Well, in the first place, physically, children are not that big. They're humble in stature. Also, children are very dependent upon adults, and they realize that they are dependent. They know they cannot take care of themselves physically. They cannot take care of themselves nutritionally. They cannot get themselves all the places they need to go. They recognize their dependence upon adults in their life. And for adults to be humble like children, we have to recognize our dependence upon our Heavenly Father. We have to humble ourselves before Him. In fact... Peter tells us if we will humble ourselves before God under His mighty hand that He will lift us up. So adults are to be humble, to be dependent, be full of faith like children are. In verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 18, Jesus then said that children are to be blessed. Children are not to be cursed. They are to be blessed not to be churched, or not to be cursed, I should say. Jesus said that whosoever welcomes a little child like this one standing in front of his disciples welcomes me. Again, this is radical teaching. Welcome a child welcomes me. So think of that in the negative. Whoever does not welcome a child does not welcome Jesus. So I put it in a church context. I think, well, boy, if my church is not welcoming to children, if we see them as, as inferior human beings, if we do not help them understand they're an important part of the church body, if we do not minister to them in ways they can grasp and understand, if we never worship with them, if we never fellowship with them, if, if we don't welcome them, then we're not welcoming Jesus. And we will not get very far in our churches if, if we do that. I remember literally going to a church many years ago in Southern California. There was a sign outside the door. The sign outside the, the door in the lobby of the church, outside the sanctuary door, instructed parents not to bring their children into the sanctuary. I thought, wow, that there was a place for children to go. Now, I'm in favor of children's ministry, kids' church, but also there's times and places children need to be in corporate worship and to say a child is not welcome in the church is, in my thinking, a way of saying Christ is not really welcome in the church. Okay, Jesus goes on to Matthew 18, verse 6, and he says to us that 
if we offend a child, we are better off tying a rope around our neck, putting a weight on the end of that rope, drowning ourselves in in a river. So to curse a child, to reject a child, to lead a child astray, we're better off ending our own lives, Jesus said. That is how serious children's ministry is. We must not offend child. How can we offend them? Well, we can offend them. I think the primary way is to offend them by leading them astray. We in the church, if we live hypocritical lives, it's going to push children away from Christ, push children away from the church. If we treat children cruelly, if we ignore children, the list can go on. There are various ways to curse children. We must not do that. We must bless and not curse. On the positive side, flip over to Matthew ten forty-two. Jesus made a very powerful statement here. He said that if you take a cup of cold water and you're to give that cup of cold water to someone, to a little one who is thirsty, he says, you will not lose your reward. In other words, you will gain a reward by reaching out to little ones. Little ones here probably refers to new followers of Christ, but I'm going to extend it to say, you know, this this could include children as well. Now, when you think about water, you may not think that's big a deal giving someone a cup of water, but you have to understand in, in New Testament Palestine, we're talking about a very dry climate. There's no modern plumbing there. They're dependent upon rainfall in the rainy season to bring the water they need. Sometimes water would be well, water would be caught in cisterns, the rain would be held for future use, and sometimes over time even that water would go bad. And so to go to the effort of finding a spring and getting water and bringing someone a fresh tank of water, it was a great gift. It was a valuable gift. So when Jesus says to us that ministry to young ones will be rewarded by just giving a cup of water, he's really saying a ministry of excellence will be rewarded. When we do our best for kids, be it a cup of Kool-Aid, be it um, just a well-prepared lesson, just faithful ministry week after week, those things God sees and God will honor. A fourth teaching Jesus gave about ministry to children is found in John 21. In John 21, we see Jesus restoring Simon Peter into ministry. And when he does it, three times he asks Peter, he says, Do you love me? Three times Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, Two times, feed my sheep. But one time he says to him, Then feed my lambs. Lambs are little sheep. Lambs are young followers of Christ. We are called to feed the lambs, feed them God's word, feed them sound biblical doctrine, feed them to truth. We are to feed the lambs, Jesus said. Now, so those are the teachings about children, or at least four of them that Jesus gave. Let's move on and let's look at how Jesus personally ministered to children. How did he minister to them? One of the ways that stands out to me is we see over and over again how Jesus responded to the request 
of parents. Jesus responded to the request of parents. I could never find in Scripture where a parent brought a child to Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, I really don't have time for that child. You know, I've got more I need to do. I've got some, somewhere else to go. Every time we see Jesus ministering to children. So one of those occasions is Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. In this story, we see a healing that takes place. Matthew chapter 18. I'm flipping through my Bible to have it with you here. Verses 18 through 26. Just about there. And in this in this passage, chapter, I say 18. What I meant to say is Matthew chapter 9, 18 to 26. There we go. I'm with you now. This is the story where a girl actually died. A girl literally died. And a ruler of the, of the synagogue came to Jesus on behalf of his daughter. When he first came, she was, she was sick. But by the time Jesus went to the trouble of pressing through a crowd to reach the home of this man, his daughter had died. But Jesus goes inside. He says, the girl is not dead. She is just asleep. Jesus reaches his hand out, takes the girl by the hand, raises her up to life. He resurrected that man's daughter. If we look over to Mark chapter 9, we see a setting where he ministers in another powerful way because a parent came to him with a request. Now, as we read these passages, I want you to think about are there times that parents come to you with requests on behalf of their children? And do you respond positively to them if there are ways you can actually help the child? I'm not saying that you're going to go around resurrecting people from the dead, but there are ways we can help children at the request of parents. Now, in Mark chapter 9, we see a boy who had an evil spirit. Father desperately comes to him. The boy, he, he rolls around in fire he'll fall into the water the father has to rescue him Jesus delivers that man's son it's a miracle then finally in Luke chapter 7 one other story that we see with Jesus and parents this is a story where Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead at the request so over and over again we see this pattern and I've had parents come to me in different times and situations on behalf of their child. Once one comes to mind where a mother came to me about her son saying, Boy, Nicholas, he really is having a, a, a lot of trouble at nighttime with fear and and I think you heard I heard a testimony from you one time about how God helped you. Could you help Nicholas there? And so, yeah, I mean, that's a way, practical way. I could pray specifically. I could do some teaching about fear and overcoming fear. So by that parent coming to me, it gave me some insight and some direction in my teaching and my praying that by God's grace could help, could help a child. Now, perhaps the most famous example of Jesus' ministry with children takes place in Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16. And this story also begins with parents coming to Jesus with a request. Here the request is different. The child isn't sick. The child hasn't died. But here the parents want Jesus to touch the children and to say a blessing over them. 
And so the parents are coming. Jesus is there. The disciples are there. And the disciples think, Jesus, no way does he have time to bless all of these children coming before him. So the, parents, or the disciples intervene. They stop the parents. They try to keep them from coming to Jesus. But Jesus speaks to them very harshly. He says, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. At that point, the disciples back away. One by one, the parents bring their children to Jesus. He lays his hands on them. He blesses every one of them. What a powerful scene that we have in Mark chapter 10. Jesus blessing children. The disciples, maybe they finally got the message of all this teaching of Jesus and children. I don't know if they did or not, but the message should be clear to us of what Jesus had to say. Let's go on to a couple more scriptures. We see in Matthew chapter 21 the story of Jesus entering to Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. People are shouting, Hosanna, they're waving palm branches, they're putting their cloaks in the road. And as Jesus comes to the city, he, he heads into this temple. And the Bible says that people bring in people who are blind, people who are crippled, for Jesus to heal them. And as they begin... As he begins to do that, children had gone inside the temple as well. They had seen their parents shouting, Hosanna. They had seen their parents raising or waving palm branches. I'm sure they had done it themselves some too. And now inside the temple, as they see Jesus performing miracles, the children begin to shout, Hosanna! Hosanna! Right in the temple, they're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of God. Jesus was glorified, but the religious leaders were angry. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Stop them. Jesus said, haven't you read from the scriptures? These guys are the experts in the law. Haven't you read? And he quotes from Psalm 8 too. From the mouths of children and infants, I have ordained praise. I have chosen praise. Don't stop what God has ordained. The Pharisees, the religious leaders had nothing to say. They could not respond because Jesus had quoted the scripture itself. There is something powerful. Jesus was teaching about the praises of children. In fact, in Psalm 8-2, the original passage, it says that the praise of children has the power to silence the foe and silence the avenger. Let children praise the Lord. Teach children to worship God. When their praises go forth, the enemy gets routed. It's a beautiful thing to see. Finally, one other thing I want to say about Jesus' ministry to children is this, that Jesus let children help him. We see it in John chapter 6. Thousands of people are hungry. No one has any food except for one boy who has two fish, five loaves of bread, it's brought to Jesus. The child doesn't hog it. The child is not selfish. He gives it to the master. The master multiplies it. The multitude is fed. Now, Jesus did not need that boy's lunch to perform that miracle. He could have created it out of thin air. I mean, how far could that boy's lunch have gone anyway without the touch of the master? But Jesus chose to incorporate a boy in his ministry. It's a message to us, I believe, that we need to help children 
incorporate them in our ministry. Let them help us. Let them use their gifts, use their talents, use their abilities, dedicated to God, and just see what God may do through them. God bless you and your ministry to children going forward as you follow Christ's example. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org children. 